Good evening. Good to see you tonight. Hope that you have had a good afternoon and glad we can be back together tonight. Uh, if you want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24, we are still there. Yes, I know. Uh, if you are visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you are catching the tail end, which I've said that for the last four times we've talked about this. Uh, the tail end of a study that uh, we started several months ago in the book of Daniel uh, that led us to Matthew 24 and that Lord willing, unless something just unexpected happens, which has happened before. Uh, we're going to finish this tonight and, uh, and move on to some other things. So Matthew chapter 24, uh, that is where we're going to be, but I'm going to actually start in Luke 21, uh, 20 through 24. This is the parallel passage in Luke's account. Uh, so I'm going to read this because I think it's a pretty good summation uh, of where we are at in Matthew 24, and it will get us going because we are, like I said, if you are joining us for the first time tonight in a while, uh, you are just jumping in right in the very detailed part of scripture that is not the easiest to understand, uh, but I think that we can understand it in a good way. So we're going to study it tonight. So we'll start in Luke 21, uh, verses 20 through 24. Luke 21, verses 20 through 24. Then it says, uh, Jesus is speaking there and he's talking about uh, the abomination of desolation. What is this? He has just went out of Jerusalem and his apostles are talking about the beauty of the temple. And he says, there's not going to be one stone laid upon another that he's basically uh, prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, and later on, as uh, we get to this he's saying here are some signs that you can know that these things are about to take place and in Luke 21 starting at verse 20 but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that the, its desolation is at hand then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains and those who are in the midst of the city uh, must leave and those who are in the countryside must not enter into the city uh, because these are the days of vengeance so that all the things which were written will be fulfilled that's important which all the things that are written will be fulfilled this is why we are here because the things that we read about in the last three or four chapters of Daniel are further being prophesied by Jesus now about something that's going to happen uh, in AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. So he's saying these things are going to be the fulfillment of things that have been written in the past and even things that I'm prophesying uh, to you now. Verse 23, woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, uh, for there will be a great distress upon the land and the wrath against this people, again, against the Jews. That's the audience that he's talking about and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Okay, so here he's talking about again the destruction of Jerusalem, which happens historically in AD 70. Not going to talk a lot about history tonight. Uh, I don't think that's where we're going to end up, but I want, what I want us to think about, and again, maybe one of the main reasons we're here, if we go back over to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew 24 is talking about this. Uh, again, the end of ch chapter 23, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. He's pronouncing the woes to the Pharisees. He's leaving, sees the beautiful uh, temple. His uh, disciples pointed out to him. He probably prophesies about the destruction. Uh, they're shell-shocked by that because the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction, the end of the Jews is the end of the world to them. It is the end of the world to them. They can't imagine a world where the Jews are not the people of God, okay? Uh, so this is a, a shell-shock for them. And so he begins to talk about that, and he's talking about some details about that. And then flowing into Matthew 25, he begins to talk about something different, uh, the second coming of Christ, which again, they can't fully comprehend yet because they don't even comprehend that he's leaving yet, that he's dying yet. They don't, they don't get it. And that's, that's kind of what prophecy is a lot of times. If you look at Old Testament prophecy, the people that originally heard those prophecy, they didn't have a clue what was being talked about. And really, most of the time in prophecy, Old Testament, New Testament, when it's prophesied, the people that are there in the moment, they don't get it. 
It's not really understood until years later, sometimes decades, centuries later, until it's understood when the prophecy uh, is fulfilled. So Jesus is talking about, in Matthew 24 especially, uh, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but he's going to introduce, so we'll start here in verse 27, around verse 27 here in just a moment, he's going to introduce a new idea that I don't even think the Jews or the disciples were asking about, but Jesus introduces a new line of thought. Okay, and if we look in Matthew 25, uh, this is where Jesus is going. Matthew 25, 31, he's going to say, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the sheep, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And it goes on there and it's the judgment scene, right? So in Matthew 25, starting verse 31, it is the judgment scene, the, the, the second coming of Christ. Everybody is going to stand before the judgment seat of God. He's going to separate them, uh, sheep from goats. Uh, and then after that, uh, sheep are going to enter into uh, heaven, enter into bliss, enter into the, the place that's prepared for them. Uh, and the goats, the unrighteous, will enter into uh, hell, torment, punishment, uh, everlasting. Okay. The point being here is that we, what we were just read in, in Luke 20, or 21, uh, was that, you know, when you see the, the army surrounding Jerusalem, what were they supposed to do? Flee, get out of town, run away, okay? Well, that's clearly something that's very different from what Matthew 25, 31 is talking about. When all the nations are gathered to uh, the, the judgment seat of, of Jesus, right? Two very different things. The judgment day, you can't flee from that, no one will flee from that. All the generations. Uh, we'll, we'll learn as we, as we study some more tonight. Uh, those that are, uh, have been dead for a long time will stand before the judgment seat of God on that, on that day. And, and those who are alive that day will stand before the judgment seat of God. So two very different things being discussed here. I think we could probably in some ways stop there and under, understand that these are two different things that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24 into Matthew 25. But there is some more details that I think we can understand, uh, which hopefully will help you uh, maybe even have some conversations conversations with some of your religious friends uh, that may think differently than what we're going to talk about tonight, okay? So if we go back to Matthew uh, 24, let's start uh, just to, again, to set the context just a little bit uh, in verse 21, and let's read verses 21 through 28. Uh, For there will be, then there will be a great tribulation, okay, so this is after the abomination of desolation shows up, uh, after the armies surround Jerusalem that talks about in Luke. Uh, For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And unless those days have been cut short, no one, no life would be, would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short, okay, so will be. This is he's prophesying about something that's going to happen in the future. That's important, again, to, for us to understand. Then if anyone says to you, okay, so, so this tribulation is happening, the abomination of desolation has taken place, Jerusalem surrounded, uh, really, really bad stuff, such a tribulation has never occurred since the beginning of the world, verse 21, uh, and then we get to verse 23. So that has happened. Uh, then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe them. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. I'm warning you about these things, he says. Verse 26. Therefore, if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, go out. Uh, don't, uh, excuse me. He's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and appears even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there will be vultures, their vultures will gather. Okay, so again, in verse 27 especially, Jesus up till this point has been talking primarily at least, if not exclusively, about the destruction of Jerusalem. And in verse 27, he's bringing up a new idea, okay, the coming of the Son of Man. 
Okay, and that we're going to use two phrases to distinguish between the two things that Jesus is talking about here. And when we talk about the coming of the Son of Man, we're talking about the second coming of Christ. Okay, Judgment Day. That's what we'll be talking about. That's what I'll be talking about when I use that phrase uh, tonight, okay? Uh, so he says, uh, following this great tribulation, there will be people who will try and take advantage of Jerusalem, okay? Uh, and he, he warns them, don't fall for the tricks of those who would take advantage of you. In verse 28, again, it says, wherever the corpse is, there will be vulture, their vultures will gather, okay? So again, I think, it's my understanding, in verse 27, a new idea, the coming of the Son of Man, the, the judgment day, the second coming of Christ, he's introducing this idea, but the part that makes this passage confusing is he's going to bounce back and forth between coming of the son of man and destruction of jerusalem second coming destruction of jerusalem that he's been uh prophesying about and he's, he's going to bounce back and forth uh to about verse 36 and then at, from verse 36 through chapter 25 he's going to be talking about judgment day okay but for these few verses these 10 15 verses here he's kind of bouncing back and forth and it does make it a little bit confusing uh if we don't uh understand it in a greater context okay uh so he says, listen, when, the, when, the, when Jerusalem is destroyed, there will be vultures who try to feed on the corpse of Jerusalem. There will be false prophets and false Christs who will come and say, hey, look, I'm going to save you from all these terrible things. And he, said, he warns them, don't believe them. They're just trying to trick you. You've probably heard this before. Uh, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord, right? Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or or the Lord. Either he's li- he was lying about it his entire ministry, his entire life, the entire time that he claimed to be the Son of God. He's, he's lying about that. Well, why would you lie about that? To get some sort of a claim for yourself, to gain some sort of uh, a following or benefit yourself in some sort of way. Okay, he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He thinks that he's Jesus, even though he thinks that he's the Christ, even though he's not, or he must be the Lord. Okay, now I believe that he's the Lord. But what Jesus is saying here, there will be other people who are going to be liars. They're going to they're come and, and they're going to recognize in the distress of the destruction of Jerusalem, there are going to be people who are desperate for help. And they're going to be these liars, these wicked and evil people who are going to lie and say, I'm your salvation. I'm going to save you from your difficulties. Just, just give me a little bit of money and I'll be able to do it, right? That's what he's warning them about. Hey, don't, don't believe them when they say this or don't believe them uh, when they say that. That's not what it's really going to be about. He warns them in advance not to believe them when he says here is the Christ or there he is. He's in the wilderness or in the inner rooms. He says don't believe that. And then in verse 27, uh, Jesus then tells them what his return will be like. Okay, now again, the, the, the nature of prophecy, they don't even realize, probably understand that he's going to be gone when this happens because they, they don't grasp the idea of him dying on the cross or any of that yet. That's, that's not on their minds yet, okay? Even if, it, even if he has said it at this point, after he says it multiple times, they still don't get it, right? We know that from, from many passages in the, in the Gospels, okay? But in verse 27, he describes what his coming will be like, okay? He says some, somebody's going to come in and say, look, he's out in the wilderness. Look, he's in the inner room. You need to go this place or that place. Those, those people are lying. But verse 27 says, For just as the lightning comes from the east and appears even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. What's the coming of the Son of Man going to be like? Have you ever been out in a storm or, or maybe like heat lightning? You know how heat lightning kind of just goes across from cloud to cloud and it grows across the whole sky? When he says this, that the lightning appears to the east and even goes to the west, that's what I picture in my mind. And the point being is, if you're out in the middle of a, of a lightning storm, you recognize and you notice the lightning, right? And especially if it's that kind that goes from cloud to cloud and it covers a big uh, part of the sky. What Jesus is saying here, when he returns, nobody's going to miss it. 
Okay? No one will need to tell you Jesus is here. You will know it. Absolutely. No one will need to tell you, hey, he's out in the wilderness. Hey, he's in the inner room. No, we will understand the moment that it happens, everyone on the earth will know that Jesus has returned. He's, he's making a distinction here. He's introducing, uh, again, a, a new idea of what's going to be happening here. Um, so this opens up a new line of thought. And again, maybe answers a question that the disciples might not have even been asking. Okay? Uh, their primary concern, we looked at this several times already, uh, their primary concern was the destruction of Jerusalem. What do you mean there won't be one stone left upon another? What do you mean by that, Jesus? This is, this is shocking to us. I don't understand what you're talking about here. Okay? Um, and then as we continue to read in verse uh, 29 especially, uh, he's going to continue this, this new idea. Okay, let's read verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, I don't know about you, that sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? That sounds pretty serious to me. Okay, so let's, let's put some pieces together, okay? It says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay, well, what days? We'll go back up to verse 21. That's why we started there. Uh, for then, after the appearing of the abomination of desolation, after the uh, Jerusalem is surrounded, according to Luke, by the armies, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the word until now, nor ever will. Then verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. So after that tribulation, what's going to happen? The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Now, when we read those words, what do we often think about? We think about the end of the world. We think about what we would think about as judgment day. The sun's going to be darkened. The stars won't give their light. Uh, the foundations are going to be shaken. Okay? I won't say that that's not going to happen on judgment day. Okay? But we absolutely know as we study the books like Daniel, as we study books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Amos and Zephaniah, Matthew here, or Jesus here, is quoting from those books when he says these words, okay? And, and when uh, Isaiah talks about it, when Ezekiel talks about it, when Joel talks about it, when, that, when those prophets of old use this kind of language, they use a phrase. It's not used here, but here's that other phrase we're going to talk about. Remember, we're talking about the Son of Man, second, the, the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of Christ. The other phrase I want to use for us tonight, which is not in Matthew, but it is in just about all of the passages that Jesus is quoting from where he just says that uh, the sun's going to be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, all those things. Uh, All of those prophets use this phrase, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And again, when we hear that, and maybe it's because our religious friends think it, maybe it's because it's not necessarily wrong thinking the day of the Lord is the day of judgment, but in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord was not talking about the second coming of Christ. It was not talking about judgment day, or at least not worldwide judgment day. It was talking about local nationalized judgment. It was judgment upon Babylon. It was judgment upon Assyria. It was judgment upon Egypt. It was judgment upon Israel. There were multiple days of the Lord that the prophets prophesied about and said, and they used the phrase, the day of the Lord. And he talks about, and then he uses this very same language that Jesus absolutely knew. Now, he, he would have known it even if he wasn't the son of God. Certainly he knows it because he's the son of God. But every Jew would have known these words. When he said these words, the people would have thought about these Old Testament prophets and prophecies against all these other nations and even prophecies against Israel when they lose the kingdom. He, they would have known what this, and, the, and Jesus didn't use the phrase, but they would have equated it with the day of the Lord. 
Okay, so let's, let's think about it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, okay, the abomination of desolation has showed up. Uh, Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. There's a terrible tribulation that has happened specifically to the Jews. And then Jesus says these words that would invoke in the mind of the Jew the day of the Lord, the judgment upon a specific group of people as seen time and time and time again in the Old Testament. What, what is Jesus trying to say here? Jesus is saying that the destruction of Jerusalem, the end of Israel as a nation, would be the end of an era, it would be the end of an age. It is the same kind of language that's used multiple times by prophets to say that this nation is going uh, to, be, to be ended. Uh, and, and again, for them, uh, again, not only is it the, the destruction of a city, not only is it the destruction of a nation, it is the destruction of a people, it's destru- the, the destruction or the ending of a covenant. The Old Testament is no longer in practice, certainly when this happens, we talked last week, I think, about uh, the loss of all the, uh, all the records of the genealogies, so you couldn't even tell who, who was really supposed to be a priest, so the whole in- entire Levitical priesthood couldn't be practiced anymore according to the old law. So it's, it's so many different things, the end of a covenant, the end of an age, the end of a, a dispensation, if you will. We, un- we live under the, the Christian dispensation now, that we are Christians, that's the... the, the um, the religion that we live under now. We're no longer under the old law. Uh, we're under Christ now and, and his law. So when it says there, and I was telling, uh, Matthew Sims asked me a question about specifically in verse 29 where it says, but immediately after this, after the tribulation of those days, what about that word immediately? If I would have taught this lesson, so maybe here's a good reason. If I would have taught this lesson three or four weeks ago, I would have taught this slightly differently. And I think there is a way that it can be taught and, and still understood the way that, that I would have taught it. But I think verse 29 is, is not saying is not talking about the second coming of Christ. It's talking about the end of the Jewish world, certainly as the disciples, the apostles, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, of all those people. It's the end of the world as they knew it. It is the day of the Lord. The Jewish nation has never been the same. Certainly the Jewish religion has never been the same uh, since A.D. 70. Uh, so it's, it's, a different, it's a different situation. Then we go to verses uh, 30 and 31. So again, in verse 27, if you are one who, who uh, takes notes or certainly marks in your Bible, um, when you think about this passage, I mentioned the going back and forth. Verse 27, the, the introduction of the idea of the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 30, verse 31, and then verse 36 and following are all key verses to distinguish the things that Jesus is talking about. Again, verse 27, verse 30, verse 31, and verse 36. Uh, and then after verse 36 through, through chapter 25, he's talking about the second coming, absolutely no doubt about it. But he's going back and forth a few times. But those verses that I just mentioned are ones that he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, so let's look at verse 30 and 31. Um, again, verse, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the end of the Jewish world as they knew it. Okay, destruction of Jerusalem, end of everything they they knew and understood and then and then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels and a great with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds uh, from one end of the sky to the other, okay? So here it says then, and that's, this is probably the way that I would have explained immediately in verse 29. He says, but then. Now, we're here some 2,000 years later. If that was A.D. 70, we're in 2023, so almost 2,000 years later. So the then isn't apparently an immediate thing. It's not the very next or the only thing that happened. 
but I would say that it is the next great spiritual event. Then, the next great spiritual event that's going to happen after what we read about in chapter 20, in verse 29, the destruction of Jerusalem, the next great significant spiritual event will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, it's a little hard for us to understand because we're reading about this in Matthew and what's not around yet in Matthew? The church, right? The church hasn't been established yet, but that's going to happen in Acts chapter 2, okay? And then after Acts chapter 2 and A.D. 70 is when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, and then the next great spiritual event is going to be the second coming and judgment day. We have been in the Christian dispensation. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. These are the last days. There will be no further revelation. God has given us everything we need according to life and godliness. The next great spiritual event will be the second coming of Christ. Okay? So, so he's talking about, uh, again, th- this next great thing that's going to happen, and he, he describes in a ways that we would think about this, right? He'll appear in the sky, uh, with, and all the tr- tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man uh, coming on the clouds. That's how Jesus is described as coming back the second time uh, with power and great glory. His angels are there. There's a trumpet, and they'll gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky uh, to the other. So again, there's that next great spiritual event. And then we go to verse 32, and in verses 32 through 35, we're kind of jumping back again, and this is that parable of the fig tree, or the parable of the daffodils, dandelions, whatever you want to call them, right? Uh, that that when, when, the, uh, when the, the fig tree puts forth its, its leaves and its, its branches are tender, they knew that summer was about to approach, okay? In the same way again here in Tennessee, when the daffodils show up, you know that spring is getting close, right? Okay, uh, so... So he's saying to them something that they would understand. We understand the daffodil thing. Uh, and he's saying, look, uh, let's just read verse 32 to 35. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Okay, there's a sign that summer is near. Here in Tennessee, the daffodils, I'm going to say it wrong, uh, the daffodils show up. We know that spring is near, right? So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door, that the day of the Lord, that... Uh, uh, is, is near, okay? Uh, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things, things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Again, so there's another thing. Uh, he, we've already read in, in Luke, uh, that the things that are written must be fulfilled. And then multiple times in Matthew's account, I think he says uh, that this generation, the, the fulfillment of all the things that have been written will happen to this generation, this group of people, people that are living in this time frame, okay? He's talking about two different things. It's the destruction of Jerusalem and then the coming of the Son of Man, Judgment Day, Second Coming of Christ, okay? And, and then in verse 36, again, there's one of those other key verses and then it, it all changes after that, okay? So let's, let's read it as a flow because there's a distinction there, okay? The word, the word but, the, the, uh, there's a contrast that's used in verse 36, okay? Uh, let's just start in verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You can take it to the bank, he says. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son or the Father, uh, but the Father alone. For just as the days, uh, just 
For just as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they uh, did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so there's a big contrast here. He's given them uh, at least a couple different things. And one thing that's very uh, concrete. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you can know the desolation is near. Get out of town when you see that. There's something to see. There's a warning. There's a sign. But then he says, but the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Noah. When they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage and getting, in mar- getting married and, and all of these things. And, and even though Noah had been preaching for them for years, for decades even, they did not get it. And, and notice again what it says, uh, verse 29. And they did not understand. They didn't recognize it. They didn't see it. There was nothing that that sparked their interest or that warned them about it. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. And at that point, it was too late. In the same way that when Jesus comes back, it'll be too late. You can't do anything at that point. Destruction of Jerusalem, you can do something. There's some actions you can take. Get out of town, flee. But when Jesus comes back, when the flood came, there was nothing that you could do. So again, verse, uh, verse 37, the coming of the Son of Man, uh, described in uh, verses 30 and 31, uh, there's no man, there's no angel, not even Jesus. Not even Jesus knows when that day will be. Unlike all the signs that could be seen for the destruction of Jerusalem, the, days, the day of Christ's return will be like the days of Noah, when there won't be a sign to be noticed. Uh, and then we get to verses uh, 40 through 44. Uh, Since there will be no warning, we must always be ready. Uh, then there will be two in the field. And one of them will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding uh, grain at the mill, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know uh, which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head, of the, household, uh, the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. That's a powerful passage phrase right there. He is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Again, further distinguishing these two events. There's warning, there's signs, you can do something about it. And the other one is... He's going to come when you don't think he's going to come. Okay? So that, that just flies in the face of all the predictions about the second coming of Christ, right? If anybody thinks, it's seemingly, this may be a little extreme, but you might could have said it this way. If anybody proclaims Jesus is going to return on this day, then God's going to say, no, he's not. He's going to return when you don't think he will. So if you think he is going to come that time, he's not going to come that time. The point is, we don't know. There will be signs. There were, there were signs, there were warnings of the destruction of Jerusalem, eighty seventy. There will be no signs, there will be no warnings. It's just going to happen. Now, verses uh, 40 and 41, uh, there will be you know, people who are working in the field, and one will be taken and one will stay. There will be people who are grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one will stay. Uh, some of our religious friends use this passage to talk about what they call the rapture. We've seen movies about it, and we've seen bumper stickers about it. You know, in case of rapture, this car will be uh, unmanned or something like that. You've seen those, those types of things. And there are people who adamantly and honestly believe that, okay? And, and one of the passages they use to support that idea is, is this passage. Uh, again, let me, let me suggest to you that's not what uh, this passage is talking about at all. If this passage is talking about, as I believe it is, uh, the second coming of Christ, then this is a, a further description of what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you want to turn over there, you can. I'm going to read it to you. It's a familiar passage. Uh, you'll, you'll recognize this passage. It's uh, read at funerals a lot. Uh, but I think that's, this is exactly what, 
what Jesus is describing in those verses of one being there, one being taken, and one remaining is going to be what's going to happen. That's, that's going to happen. Absolutely. Okay, and Paul describes it in a different way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 13, okay? Uh, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, <clears throat> excuse me, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, okay? The coming of the Lord, the coming of the Son of Man, the judgment day. Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. We read that same, very same description in Matthew already, right? The trumpets, the angels, all of that stuff, okay? Uh, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, Paul is mostly concerned about encouraging people that, hey, just because someone has died before Jesus comes back, they still get to go to heaven. Okay, and he even says that, that they'll get to go and be with the Lord before anybody else will. Okay, that the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, but it, but it doesn't stop there and we get a little bit more information as we continue in verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Okay, in Matthew, Jesus says there'll be two people in the field. They're working the field. Jesus comes, one of them's taken, one of them remains. There's two people grinding at the mill. Jesus comes, one of them's taken, one of them remains. Well, the application I would be from First Thessalonians would be, well, the one who's taken to meet Jesus in the air is the Christian, and the one who's not is not. There will be, in some form or fashion, that event, whether you want to call it the rapture or not. I don't know if that would be wise for us to use that word since people think about different things when we use that word. But, but there is this event that those, when Jesus returns... Those who are dead in Christ will rise first, seemingly, to go and meet Jesus. And then we who are alive and remain. So if Jesus comes back right now, we're Christians. We'll be called up together with Christ in the sky. And people who are not Christians will not be. They'll remain here for a short time. Matthew 25 says that they're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, right? How long exactly is that time? I don't know exactly. I don't know that we know that seemingly, but when Jesus comes back, the reason he's coming back is to call all nations together, call all of his people together, and then shortly after that, Matthew 25, 31, everybody stands before the judgment seat of God. So in some ways, he's already, you know, that division of sheep from goats, he's already doing that as he's calling his elect, his people, Christians, he's calling us to meet him in the sky, there's the sheep, and then everybody else are the goats. He's already making that distinction, and and, and in a physical way in some sense uh you know and there's there's a whole nother uh topic for us to talk about there but starting in verse 42 if, if we go back to matthew uh chapter 25 uh 24 actually uh starting in verse 42 and continuing until the judgment scene of matthew 25 31 multiple examples are given of how the son of man will come and we already read one of them in verse 42 he'll come like a thief It'll be unknown and unexpected. Verse 45 and following says it'll be like a master returning from home unexpectedly and you want to be a servant who's working when the master returns. In uh, chapter 25 and verse 1, it'll be like a bridegroom in the middle of the night. Unexpected, but you want to make sure that you're ready uh, for the procession. Uh, In verse 14, like a master who expects uh, his servants to work right? The, the parable of the talents. They expect the servant to work. So each of these things, unexpected, uh, the, the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of Christ, there will be no sign 
There will be no warning, unlike the sign and the warning about the destruction of Jerusalem. If we read Matthew 25, 24 and verse 44, uh, this would be a good summation of all of those warnings until we get to the, the judgment scene. Uh, for this reason, this would be true for you uh, today, 21st century Christian. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Jesus is talking about, in my mind, very clearly, two different things in Matthew 24 and 25. One of them's already happened, so there's no practical application for us today. One of them has yet to happen, and it's the most important application of your life. Will you be ready when Jesus comes? And what does that look like? Yes, we need to be about his work. We need to be about his business. We need to be about doing the things that he wants us to do. Uh, and ultimately, the reason that happens is because we have faith and we trust in him. We trust that he is who he says he is, that he did the things that the Bible tells us that he did, that he is our Savior, and we have named him and claim him and want him to be in our living like he's our Lord. So that when he shows up, man, wouldn't it be great if when you hear that trumpet sound, you have a smile on your face? It's time to go home. Wouldn't that be great? Instead of an oh no, right? Right? Wouldn't that be great? Well, live your life like that. Live your life that when you hear the trumpet and the voice of the archangel, you're happy about it. Tonight, if you're not ready for that, uh, Jesus makes it possible for you to be ready for that. Uh, There won't be a sign or a warning. There won't be a chance to do anything at that moment. But until that moment, you have every chance that God will give you. And he's giving you a chance right now. If you're a Christian and you're not living your life the way that you need to be, if you're not following Jesus as your Lord, then change that. You can change that in your seat where you're sitting. Uh, You can come forward and let us know that you need some help, and we'll help you in the most specific ways we can. We'll pray for you, and we'll do anything we can to help you because we want, I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be with God forever. I think you want that for everybody else that's here too. If you're not a Christian, uh, Jesus came and he died and, and he did all of the things that he did, all the miracles. Um, he lived his life so that you could have the hope of eternal life but because without him you have no hope of eternal life. Uh, if you're interested in studying more about that or if you're ready to make a decision uh, to become a follower of Jesus and be baptized into him for the remission of your sins, we are ready to help you with that too. Uh, if you have any needs tonight, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.